class. How was it? Good. Is that why you're here? Because you need to repent from all those dirty words you said? I just, as we get started, let me throw this out, and this is for free, and if there's college parents in here, uh, sorry. We have a lot of college dropouts that go here that are really successful. Just throw that out there for what it's worth. A lot of college dropouts that are making a lot of money. So, College isn't for everyone. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, go to chapter or Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Uh, and here's what we're trying to do. We started last week and we're going to spend the next three weeks going over this one question. Uh, what is the church or, or who is the church or where is the church or just this idea of the church? Uh, because I know that there's a bunch of different backgrounds that have come here. You guys have moved from um, all over the state, all over the country in some matters to get here to come to university. Um, some of you guys grew up in a more rural environment or suburban environment. And uh, just this idea of church has so many um, expressions that come to our mind. Um, some of you guys I joked about last week are really offended that you can see my toes. Um, I promise I will offend you a lot more than that. Just give it some time. Um, you're surprised I'm not in a suit and tie. A lot of you are like, oh, they meet in a gym. What's happening? Uh, so we're just trying to define what the church is. Because Charles Spurgeon, they call him the Prince of Preachers, just this dynamic communicator, preacher of the gospel, said that the church is the dearest place on earth. And I love almost everything Spurgeon has ever written, but even that is, but is church a place? As we look through the word ecclesia in the New Testament, is that an accurate description of what the church is, meaning that it's a place? Because um, if that's true, then, then we might not be a church. Because after we tear all this down, and some people are going to be playing pickleball here in a couple hours. Uh, if you don't know what pickleball is, I don't either. It's just old people that get really competitive. So I just kind of let them have their space, right? So, so what is the church? What are we trying to do? And, and honestly, why does it matter? Why does it matter whether we know what the church is or what we don't? But if we're committing our lives to this thing, we ought to know. But for us, as a church plant, who will turn five in a couple weeks, which is just crazy, uh, we get um, a lot of shade thrown our way sometimes of, um, well, you guys are just trying to be hip and cool, and like, that's why you're trying to do the things that you do, because like, you're just a young, cool, hip church. There's nothing young, cool, or hip about me. If you see me in skinny jeans and fake glasses, I'm being held against my will, call the police. I promise you I will not wear the oversized t-shirts. I wear dad t-shirts because they're comfortable, all right? That's all that I, I'm, we're not trying to be young. We're not trying to be cool. Now, my wife and I had about a year span between the time we left our last church before we planted here. And over that time, I just read and reread and reread the New Testament. What was the pillars that the church was founded upon? Uh, what, what was it that set them apart as a church? And so what we're going to see today in Acts 2, 42 through 47 um, is a really simple idea. And we covered last week that the first thing we see about the early church is that they were serious about the gospel. So one of the pillars from the early church was they were serious about the gospel. The next is this coming in is they were very serious about community. And the last thing that we see is they were serious about mission. It said that the Lord was adding to their numbers daily those who were being saved. But we also see that Paul, throughout the whole New Testament, is writing letters to all these different churches. So what that means is that this one church that was founded in Acts 2 didn't try to get as big as they could and try to fit in one building and do all these building expansions to fit in. No, as soon as this became healthy, then they sent some of their best and brightest to plant another church. And then they did it again. And then they did it again. And then, guess what? They did it again. And one more time? Nope, that's too much. 
right? So as soon as this church became healthy, then the multiplication started to happen. So last week we covered the gospel. This week we're going to look intently at the new church's community that we see in Acts. And then next week we're going to look at Carlton Hicks is over here the bald-headed beauty. He's going to be preaching about what mission looks like for us. And then the next week, Daniel Tipton right here is going to cover multiplication and what that looks like. So let me review just real quick last week because we can't move to community without understanding what the gospel is. That we have gospel-centered community, gospel-centered mission, gospel-centered multiplication. So the definition that we used last week is going to be up on the screen. Here's the gospel. God, through the perfect life, atoning death, and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, rescues all of his people from the wrath of God into a peace with God, with a promise of full restoration of his created order forever, all to the praise of his glory and grace. So the gospel is God in our place, Christ coming to rescue us, redeem us from our sin. That's what binds us all together. So last week we came to the conclusion that in light of the gospel, we live a transformed life, intimately treasuring Christ with all confidence in him and his life, not ours. So if we stop to understand the gospel, this is going to give us a massive definition, a clue into what gospel community looks like. So let's pick it up, Acts 2, 42 through 47. And just as we're reading this together, think through, where do you see community start to pop out of the page on here? Just a little bit of reference, Holy Spirit came, Peter preached to 3,000, 3,000 were saved, and we see here that he told them, repent and be baptized. It wasn't, this is going to make your life better, like you should really do this so you get higher up in your jobs. This was repent and be baptized because your life is on the line. And then we pick up to Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all, be- all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. So let's pray together. Father, as we study your word this morning, would you speak truth to us? Would you speak life to us? And God, would you challenge us where we need to be challenged? Would you press in? God, as we look at what gospel-centered community looks like for us, and God, we know that this is going to be difficult at times. This is going to be challenging, but the reward is great. Father, thanks for all that you've done for us. Jesus, we cannot be here together. We cannot be praying in this way. We cannot be studying the word in this way if it wasn't for you and your grace. It's your name that we pray. Amen. So the first thing that jumps off the page for us is verse 44. That all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now we need to see here because Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit came, things got wild for a minute, and Peter preached. I might have misspoke earlier. He preached and 3,000 people were saved at this. So there's no telling how many people he was preaching to. But we've got to stop real quick to understand who, in fact, was he preaching to? Was this all Jews that were converted from uh, Judaism to Christianity? Was this just a very monotone crowd that Peter was preaching to? So if you slide back up to verse 7, Acts 2, verse 7, it tells you exactly who Peter preached to. Acts 2, verse 7. 
And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all of these who were speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya becoming, belonging to Cyrene and visitors of Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So for Acts to say right after this that all were together and had everything in common, it's wild to think about. I mean, I, I know this just from a global spell. I've told this to some of you, but we looked at planting a church out in the West Coast, and they said, man, you're too country and redneck to belong out here. So if we had right now someone from the South, someone from the West Coast, someone from like the mid-America, anyone from like the Midwest? That's what I feel. Oh, one. No, you're good, girl. Be proud. I'm from Kansas, and there's nothing there. Are you from Kansas? Uh, I'm not a prophet, sorry. Uh, and then New York, right? So we have all those people come together. Just the life experiences that we have that are so different. Downtown New York, downtown Seattle, and downtown Atlanta, they're all going to be so different that they're not going to have anything in common. So when we read here, even, I mean, just maybe a little more practical, um, raise your hand if you're from South Georgia. You are a different breed, my friends. Right? I mean, I was just talking to Perry this morning that girl, poor girl has never seen snow. Like, just like little, little snows. Never gone. So I just, I was so sad. We're going to pass the offering bucket so Perry can go see snow. Like, that's what we need to do. Because you South Georgia people stay in South Georgia. Right? I have a crazy uncle here. Don't even meet him because he will put all the South in South Georgia. And Middle Georgia people, y'all are even worse. Y'all don't do anything. Y'all just sit there and nothing. So all things in common, if we really like practically apply this, even us in this room being from the same area, we don't have all things in common. So what is it then they're holding all things in common? It's the gospel. It's the fact that they were rooted first and foremost in the one thing that mattered the most, that they were once enemies of God and now they are friends of God. And that is the one thing that no matter where they came from, the cultural background, the family environment they're raised in, none of that stuff matters anymore. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ holds them together. And so often we talk about the context community, we forget this. We argue over everything peripheral about Christianity and the Bible, but we never major on the majors. That we were all, if we're believers in this room, we were all dead to our sin. We were all straightway going to hell if Christ did not intervene on our behalf. So what else matters? If that is the core message of the gospel, that leads to community, then what else matters? I don't care where you're from. I don't care how you were raised. None of that stuff matters. We have one thing binding us together, and that is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we see this, that they had all things in common, but we also see that they were together that they were constantly together and they had all things together. There's two overarching truths that happens in this togetherness, if you will. There's proximity and there's persistence. There's proximity and persistence. So, so to have good gospel-centered community, you must be around one another. I mean, it's one of the main reasons that we have missional communities. I'll talk about them more later, but we have nine missional communities on that table back there that you can sign up on. Because for Christian community to work, Spoiler alert, you must be together. Community does not happen if you're not part of the community. So what does it look like for us to commit to a gospel-centered community, doing life together and going, no, this is going to be of first importance for me. 
So whether I eat, whether I work out, whether I do hobbies like disc golf or D&D, or I just can't believe I use D&D as an example, but that's the church that I pastor now. Whatever you do, you've got to have people around you together. And college students, let me single you out just for a second. You spend 75% of your week here. It matters the community that you're developing. And I, I get it, I understand. This is, especially if you're a freshman, this has been probably one of the strangest weeks of your life and you're counting down the days to go home next Friday for a long weekend. But I would just press in and say, but, but stay. Like work hard at making community. Community only happens through proximity. Stay around, there's plenty of things to do. I know your excuse is, well, there's nothing to do here. You're just gonna go home and sit there and watch Prices Right with your family anyways. So do that up here. Me, do y'all still watch Prices Right? Or was that a generation gap? Okay, you should watch it. That's fantastic. I'm sure it's on Netflix. If they put Bob Ross on Netflix, they've got to put Prices Right. But like Bob Barker, not Drew Carey. Drew Carey's good, but Bob's the man. Anyways, you stay here, invest, go hike somewhere. We can all tell you some things. Heck, we'll do it with you. Go to hell and not to shop, but just to people watch. That is the most beautiful people watching of all time. This is the strangest town, but the people that come to Helen, I mean, it's, it's worth price of admission just for that. Stick around it. It takes time. It takes effort and proximity will lead to community, but it also takes persistence. It takes persistence because look, I mean, just all cards on the table, we're going to let you down. The branch is going to let you down sooner or later. Your community is going to let you down. You're going to get hurt. People are going to be weird. They're going to be strange. They're not going to call you back. You're going to have to be persistent. But there again, if we take this back to the gospel, aren't we grateful that God was persistent towards us? Aren't we grateful that God was pursuing us even though we constantly spit in his face, rejected him, wanted nothing to do with him? He constantly pursued after us. So what does gospel-centered community look like? It looks like proximity, yes, but persistence. Keep pursuing, keep trying. It's worth it if you do it. So the first thing we see about this early church is that they were all had all things in common and they were together through proximity and persistence. Now, if you keep reading through the New Testament, you're going to see how messy this early church was. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Just go read 1 Corinthians. It'll blow your mind some of the things that that church was going through. But it was worth it because they had all things together in common, the gospel. Look with me at verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So the second thing we see about this early church, the community that they had, was that it was an incredible joy. Because they had, they did it with glad and generous hearts. Now just real quick, who can attest to the incredible joy that gospel community has been in your life? Let me see it that you would not be who you are except for the gospel community that you've been in. So, so we all know it, we all understand it, because if it's truly rooted in the gospel, it's going to be totally different from what the world has. The world's going to say, as long as you do something for me, as long as I'm still part of this relationship that I'm gaining from this, I'm in. But the moment that you need help, I'm out, because I need help too, so I'm going to go over here. But we see here that gospel community goes both ways, that all that Christ has done in us and through us, we serve and encourage and we love on those that are in a part of our community. Um, over the last probably three or four years, I've fallen in love with this guy named Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Who, anyone heard of that guy? All right, he's got a couple biographies you should read it. One is massive. If you read that, I will buy you a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich because it is huge. 
But D.J. Bonhoeffer was kind of a spy, was a pastor, was a pastor of pastors through the World War II era. And eventually, because of his proclamation of the gospel, refusing to bow down to Nazi Germany, they arrested him and they hung him, which was actually 14 to 15 days before America came in and busted up this concentration camp. So he was 14 days away from being freed, but he was a martyr for his faith. So and, and just picture yourself, Nazi Germany, things are going down. They're trying to live in everything you do and say. And there's this one community that was binding together, these pastors of pastors. They're training up men to go preach the gospel in the middle of Nazi Germany. That's what Bonhoeffer was doing. And here's what he wrote about how community got him through that. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. It is true, of course, that what is an unspeakable gift for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trotted under by those who have the gift every day. Among earnest Christians in the church today, there's a growing desire to meet together with other Christians in the rest periods of their work for common life under the word. Communal living, excuse me, communal life is again being recognized by Christians today as the grace that it is. As the extraordinary, the roses and lilies of Christian life. Did you catch that? That Bonhoeffer saying that the gospel community that we have are the roses and lilies of the gospel life. That the community that we have centered around the gospel brings so much joy to us. It's like seeing and smelling the roses and the lilies of the field. There's nothing that can beat good Christian gospel community. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 puts it this way. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Because here's, here's what I know. Here's what I know about the gospel, Christianity, and life. There's going to be a day where you want to throw in the towel. There's going to be something that happens to you, something that happens to your family, something that happens to your friend, something that takes place that you don't have a biblical worldview yet. I mean, just for all the the greatness that comes with being uh, Americans living in the U.S. of A., we have no idea what suffering looks like in light of the gospel. So something bad's going to happen to you. You're going to go through a stretch of 10, 20, 30 years asking, pleading, begging where God is. And if you don't have this community, church, are you going to persevere? If you don't have these people around you going, listen, listen, you know the truth. Let me remind you of the truth. Let me pray over you. Let me bring you meals. Let me provide for you for this season because this is a really tough season. In the middle of that, the joy that comes, even through the sorrow and through the suffering, does not happen anywhere else. Hebrews 3 puts it this way. Take care, brothers, lest there be any evil in you, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort on one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you shall be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Brothers and sisters, we're never going to defeat sin. We're never going to own sin. And if we don't have a gospel community around us going, hey man, be careful of this. Hey, man, watch out for this. Hey, sister, I see you sliding in this way. Then, then where are we going to get this from? Where are we going to be persevere, oppressed to persevere for the gospel if it doesn't happen within gospel-centered community? 
Because left to our own devices, maybe you're better than me. Left to my own devices, I'm running. I'm, I'm, I'm out of here sometimes. When things get that way, I, I mean, just all cards on the table. If it wasn't for gospel community, I probably would have quit this church twice in the last five years. Just so frustrated and burnt out with things that are going. But you guys have rallied around. You've prayed. You've supported. You've encouraged. And look what the Lord is doing in our midst. So we cannot say that gospel community doesn't matter because it's the greatest joy, it's the roses and the lilies of the Christian life. Going back to Acts 2, we're going to pick it up in verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. That gospel-centered community leads to evangelism. Gospel-centered community should, if done well, have favor with all the people, which means we're drawing people in, that our community should look so different than the communities around us that people just naturally want to buy into what we're doing. The way that that community loves you looks different. Can I come hang out? The way that community supports you, what they did for you is not normal. Do you realize that? Can I come be a part of that community with you? Um, Our MC leaders, raise your hand if you're an MC leader. All right. You can talk to them later about MCs, but we're going through this book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, and it's written by a lady named Rosaria Butterfield, who uh, used to be a lesbian in an open lesbian relationship until Christ saved her and redeemed her out of that. But here's what she talks about community as far as in the LGBT community, is that there is an open home every single night of the week for people to go to. That she would argue that the LGBTQ community does community better than the church does. Now, if we have Christ in us, if we have this message of reconciliation saying that none of us were friends of God, we were all enemies of God, but God has saved us and he can save you too. Come hear this message, come feel this message, come see this message. No one should be community better than we do because we have the greatest message of all time. But she would argue that 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 community doesn't better because it's a refuge for them. It's a safe haven for them. And I'm reading this going, oh my gosh, how the church is messed up. The gospel community should be so strong within us that it is naturally leading to evangelism. That the way that we love, the way that we interact, the way that we eat meals together, the way that we support one another should be so beautiful and broad that people are just constantly coming in with us. But, but we don't. I mean, I, w- I would almost argue the other way, church. If we're just being real honest, we can air our dirty laundry. I would say gospel community actually pushes more people away from the church than it does bring them in. I mean, I had breakfast with a guy this week that started to doubt his faith and started to doubt Christianity in the Big C Church because after he became a believer, after he walked into community, he started seeing things that did not line up with what he thought biblical Christianity looked like. It was one of the most gut-wrenching meetings I've had over the last season. Just listen to him recount story after story of us, of people acting one way in this room, and then when he sees them out, acting a different way. Church, I would argue that our church community, not just us, but the gospel community worldwide, if we don't watch it, this is what's going to turn people away from the church and the gospel forever. So this community, this this dearest place on earth that we have, this mentality that we have, the gospel drawing people in, we have to be careful. Romans 12, 13 through 18 puts it this way. Contribute to the needs of the saints 
and seek to show hospitality. So, so let me separate those two real quick. Contribute to the believers around you. Contribute to the saints, the ones that are following Christ. Take care of them, but also seek to show hospitality. Hospitality meaning the love of the stranger, right? So as Christians, we have twofold. Yes, take care of the Christians, take care of the believers that are around us, but seek to show hospitality. And here's where he goes after that, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So how do we do this well, church? How do we make sure that we're not the hypocritical community that, that we have this one thing going on, but when we go out into the world, we look different, we act different, and we treat different people? It all roots back to the gospel. It all roots back to the gospel. Because I mentioned last week, in light of the gospel, I knew exactly who I would be if it wasn't for God saving me, rescuing me, and redeeming me. So when I walk around people, when I see the sin that people are in, there's no judgment in me. Sometimes there is. But there should be no judgment in me. Why? Because I would be just like them if it wasn't for Christ saving me. That we have this false idea, this preconceived notion that if it wasn't for Christ, I would still be a really good person and I'd be okay and, and I would still be able to handle this. Then I press in and say, do you really understand the gospel? Because the gospel says everything opposite of what you just said. That apart from Christ, you would be caught and dead in your own sin. You are a wretched human being that can do nothing to redeem yourself, can do nothing to live good deeds. You can do none of that. So if we understand the gospel community that we preach, if we understand that we should live peaceably among all, if we understand that we should not repay evil with evil, it's because we know our own story, we know our own testimony, that apart from the gospel, we would be doing the same exact things. So instead of getting angry and lashing out or bearing up barriers between us and the world, we tear those down because we know that they're only doing what they're called to do in their sin. But Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 would say that because of they were dead in their sins and their trespasses, that's the way they're acting the way they're acting. So why should we not bring them in? Why should we not love them like Christ first loved us? Why should we not pursue them? Because we were one of them. And there's nothing you did or I did to pull ourselves out of that life. It's only the good news of the gospel. John 13, 35 puts it perfectly. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. And, and here's if we're not careful. Here's where we can start building up some walls, right? Like, well, that's the church's responsibility. The, the church should love all well, who is the church? You are. I am. We are. We, we can't create a scapegoat and say, well, that's the church's fault. Because you are the church. I am the church. We are the church. It's our fault if this is happening. And the last thing that we see as we're talking about gospel-centered community is this word. It happens a few times in this text, and it happens all throughout the rest of the church age in the New Testament. The simple word together that they were together. And here, churches, we can just run into this together. What this means, this word together, is that I need you and you need me. The community does not happen. Gospel-centered community 
does not, will not, has not happened if we're not in this thing together. That if I'm not giving it 100% and you're not giving it 100%, this community will not happen. I think one of the most maybe gut-wrenching things that happens within the church community, and I, I realize what I'm about to say is going to sound totally ironic because we have bleachers set up right now, but in light of that, the church is not a spectator sport, right? That, that you can't just sit on the sideline and claim that you're part of gospel community and never actually get into the game. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen puts it perfect. The iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another that I am not going to be who God has created me to be if it's not for you. And you're not going to be who God has created you to be if it's not for me. So we can't walk into this community going, what's in it for me? I'm here about me. I want to grow. It's all about me without having that mindset of, but through this process, I'm going to help you grow too. I think one of the most beautiful things that has happened here, and as God has just orchestrated growing his church in Dahlonega, is that we have a wide mix of ages. We have 18 to 70-something. I won't throw the actual number out because some people would get really offended. And those are the people that actually have money to give, so I'm going to leave that number alone, <laughs> right? So we have this wide variety of ages. And we have the young zeal without knowledge, but some of you guys, man, you college students are reading more books than I could ever dare dream of reading at your age that you're reading Edward, Edwards and Calvin and Luther and Warfield and all these theologians that, that some of this older generation just, just doesn't know. But at the same time, this older generation has enough life under their belt where we understand what this theology means for us today. That we've had death, that we've had divorce, that we've had things happen to us that we have persevered through only because of the good news of the gospel. So when these two communities clash in together, if they're rooted and centered on the gospel, there's going to be so much growth, it's ridiculous. I might hear story after story of our DNA groups, which is our small group, guys and girls, and it's college age, and it's older men and women together studying scripture, guys with guys, girls with girls, and the conversations that come out of that are beautiful because it's dependent on one another. I think the worst thing I'm going to get me in trouble here, but I think one of the worst things that we can do as churches is to segregate by age because that's robbing the wisdom and the knowledge of each other, sharpening one another towards glory. Because you have something to offer. I have something to offer. It doesn't matter age, demographics, none of that matters. True gospel community is rooted in this idea. So if you have your Bibles, flip with me to 1 Corinthians 12 real fast. This is a longer passage, so I just wanted us to see this together. 1 Corinthians 12. And I've been around the church game long enough to know that uh, this text has been abused, and typically once people or pastors read this passage, they're going to say, now listen, listen church, uh, we need people in the nursery wiping bottoms just as much as you need me up here on this stage preaching. I'm not about to guilt trip you into serving. Don't worry, this is not what's happening. Some of you are going to get PTSD as soon as I read this verse. Like, oh my gosh, here we go, i got to go serve somewhere. It's not what's going to happen. First Corinthians 12, we're going to pick it up in verse 12. We're going to read through verse 27. For just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, 
Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each of them as he chose. If all were a single member, excuse me, if all were a single member, where would the body be? And if there are many parts, yet one body, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker and indispensable, and on those parts of the body we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it that there may be no division of the body, that the members may have it the same care for one another. If you're still tracking with me, let's, verse 26. This is where he ties it all together. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, if you are the body of Christ, you are individual members of it. So we all, if we're in this together, It does not matter who you are, how old you are, how long you've been a Christian, how long you haven't been a Christian. We're all in this together if we are believers. So if you've been a believer for a day or a decade or 10 decades, it does not matter. We're all in this together. And this is where we get this idea. Jesus is everything was last week. That's what it looks like to be gospel-centered. But this is where we get this idea that your story matters. That if you don't walk into community, I'm going to suffer. And if I don't walk into community, you're going to suffer because we all have the message of reconciliation within us. Again, let me go back to a quote by Diedrich Bonhoeffer because I think this just ties this up very well. Therefore, the Christians need another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged for by himself he cannot help himself without belaying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and a proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ of the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. So in my moment of weakness, I need you to speak truth into me. And in your moment of suffering, you need me to speak truth into you. And in your moment of persecution, you need someone to speak life into you. If we're going to make it in this gospel-centered life, it will not happen apart from community. So, so let me maybe permission to be a little brash here for a second. I have ze- very little patience with referees. And here's what I mean by that. If you want to come in, if you want to start blowing the whistle every time the church does something wrong, get ready to blow a lot. If you're going to come in and just critique this and that, and, oh, well, the branch did this, but they don't do that very well, and I wish they would do this better, but they don't do this very well, and they're, like, they're, their floor is kind of wrinkly and dirty, if that's you and, and all love and grace, go somewhere else. We, we just don't have time for that. But if you want to roll up your sleeves because I desperately need you and you desperately need me, please stay, get involved, buy in. But if you just want to critique everything that we do, if you just want to be a spectator, a fan in the crowd without getting in the actual game, there's just not much room for you here. 
because our life is too short and the gospel has to get out of this room. A statistic that we throw out a lot is there's 26,000 within a 20 minute drive of right here that don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you tracking? That if they died right now, they would spend eternity in hell. And I don't have time to listen to your concern about our dirty floors. There's more important things going on than nitpicking things here and things there to make sure that we hold up to your standard because the world around us is dying. I need you to be strong and I need to be strong the moment we leave this place because the world needs us. So, so, so we just don't have time to play games, church. There's way too much on the line for us to argue about this or that, and we all know it. We know the churches that have split over names and carpet decisions and drop ceiling versus beautiful wood ceiling. None of that stuff matters when there's those around us dying and going to hell. But at least we got pretty carpet. Give me a break. Community's got to be something bigger. So Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, presses into us that, that, that the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers were given to equip the saints for the works of the ministry, to equip you. So what we see as our elders, as our lead team, we the saints for the works of ministry. Sorry, I think my battery pack was loose. That was just a little booty shake. You ever seen a pastor twerk? That just happened, right? <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I just subconsciously did that. Uh, but it worked, right? This booty's got many gifts. So... <laughs> Our role here as a church, see, offended. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. Uh, our role here is not to do this for you, but it's equip you for the works of the ministry. Our job is to equip you that your story matters, that if you don't, who will? So how do we do that then? In a moment, we're going to continue in worship and have communion. This is our best way every single Sunday to go, listen, you've got to worship. You've got to be here. Your story matters. And a little bit later, we're going to pass the offering buckets. That if you don't give to this thing, then we don't exist anymore. It doesn't matter if you're a college student or you've been working for 30 years. That your story matters. That your contributions to this gathering of believers matters. That we cannot do this without you. That there's no room for spectators. We desperately need you. And then missional communities, within Scripture, there are 59 one another's. So love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, outdo one another in showing honor, encourage one another in all spiritual gifts. So when we get involved in missional communities, here's what we're going to do. We're going to encourage you and equip you, and then we're hoping you encourage us and equip us. That all those one another's were in the New Testament for the church. So if you're not part of community, you don't know what it means to receive gospel-centered encouragement, and you don't know how to give gospel-centered encouragement. And the last thing which trips everyone up was in DNAs, which I've mentioned it's three or four guys, three or four girls that meet together, study scripture, pray together, and confess sin. That James 5, 16 puts it this way. Confess your sin to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So what happens in these DNAs? when community takes place over the confession of sins. One, it means that, that you're contributing, you're in, you are bought in. I am a, not a spectator. I'm telling you everything that I'm struggling with. But almost every DNA I've been a part of, here's what happens. The moment someone is bold enough to confess that sin, someone in that group is struggling with that same sin. 
and you've sat together for the last two years, you've been friends with one another, you know each other pretty well, but in that circumstance, in that confession of sin, true gospel community happens because we realize we're all jacked up. And Christ is the only one that can save us, he's the only one that can redeem us, he's the only one that can heal us from these sins. Now I know that can be a dangerous one, but I promise you it's worth it. Is it gun drenching? Oh yeah. Does it ever get easier? Not yet for me, but is it worth it? Yes, that that's where healing is found. So church, I just, I just wanna ask, are, are you interested, interested in buying into gospel community? Are you doing what it takes to get in? Is there proximity and persistence in your life? They're going, I, I need to be a part of community, one, so that I can grow in my own sanctification, and two, that community is gonna be weaker if I'm not a part of it that you might feel like you have nothing to offer. That is a lie from Satan. You have so much to offer if you would just buy in, if you would commit, if you would jump in, because we desperately need you. I'm not who I'm supposed to be by the gospel if it's not for you, and likewise. So in a moment, we're gonna pray together. And we have the communion stations over on the other side. We just get to take a moment and stop and reflect on what Christ has done for us. And we have the bread that represents the body that's broken for us. We have the juice which represents the blood that he spilt for us. That as baptized believers, this is our time to reflect and remember what Christ has done for us. If you're not yet a believer, I totally respect that. I'm so glad you're here. But we would ask that you respectively leave this time for those that this matters to. But as we're taking this communion, let us just think through community. Where would it be if it wasn't for God's persistence pursuing us? What would our lives look like if we did not have the community of the gospel? What would it look like if God pursued us one time and said, forget it, I'm done with you? Where would our lives be if it wasn't for the good news of the gospel? So I'm going to pray, and when we're ready, communion will be open. We'll continue in worship as we think through and meditate on this idea of gospel-centered community. Let's pray. God, it's clear, apart from you, we can do nothing. God, we can't save ourselves, that we can't grow in our sanctification, that we cannot defeat sin if it's not from you and through you and for you and by you. So, Father, would you speak to us right now? What is it that's holding us back from gospel community? What fear is it that's holding us back? What are the pressures that are keeping us from opening up to those around us? God, we know what Romans 8 says, that if you're for us, who can be against us? That why are we so concerned with what the world says about us. What does it look like for us this morning to take the first step into gospel community? What lies are we believing that's holding us back? Father, we're grateful for the community that we have found in you, that we have a Father that loves us and protects us and keeps us. And we can rest in that. So God, would you, through your power, 
enable us and equip us to be the biggest community we can be for the gospel. And not numerically, but we constantly welcome people into our lives and into our homes around the dinner tables that are far from you. God, would you change our heart? Would you mold our heart to have true hospitality, to have a true love of the stranger, understanding that we were once them, that we were once aliens from you, enemies to you, but through the reconciliation of your son on the cross, we are now sons and daughters, and now it's our turn. Now you've given us a message of reconciliation. And let us do this as a community. Father, we see your rhythm that you send them out two by two, that we're not meant to do this life alone. We see this perfectly in the Trinity. There's not one but three. Let us sharpen one another, grow one another, serve together one another. Let's confess sin. But Father, let us first commit Let's repent of the sins that's holding us back. Commit into this community. So church, in a moment as we're still praying, in a moment I'll say amen and communion will be open. But use this time just in examining of your own heart. Repent from sins and ask this question. What is, what is holding me back? What are the fear that's holding me back from investing into a gospel-centered community? And what then do I do that I can only do through the power of your spirit? So we'll have a few moments of prayer. The band will be playing. And and when you're ready, communion will be open. And then we'll worship together and enjoy community together this week. It's your name that we pray. Amen.